We want to talk about audacity. How about having a squat to sing that last note in woman? Honey, with a placenta-stained nightgown? What are you talking about? (laughs) My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. We have arrived. I mean, how do you even begin this episode? Well, it was a long time ago and we were both very young. (laughs) I did have a moment yesterday that I was like, okay, we need to save this for the pod. I don't want to talk to you in person about this. Where it's like, not only has this entire podcast journey been building up to this moment, but I feel like our friendship in a lot of ways has been building up to this moment. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we, we said it in the first episode, the first conversation we had was about Stephanie J. Block, <laughs> like the first casual conversation we ever mm-hmm. had. So really, this is... This is big. This is it. This is big. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> it's all... <laughs> Just kidding. Anything that comes after this, I'm sure will be great. No, it's all uphill. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, I mean, this is the SJB episode. We shouldn't have even played the normal intro. We should have just played do, 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 do. Stuck on SJB. This whole episode is stuck on SJB. I am so excited. So excited. And I'm glad that from what we've seen on social and from what you guys have been telling us, it feels like you're all equally as excited. I would say so. (laughs) What's exciting to me, Quincy, is that I feel like Stephanie is also equally as excited about this because she's been, you know, engaging with us almost since our podcast started yeah Yeah, she's been kind of flirty with us like since october so like it would have been very easy for her to just not acknowledge us this entire time you know yeah i mean she's been like in on the shtick the whole time she has been an active participant and let us remind the listeners that this was her idea she is the one that commented on our instagram and was like i'm ready let's do it declared that she was ready (laughs) and you know what we were ready too we were ready it's just like yeah i mean i don't even i feel like what can we banter about there's not really anything this is the sjb episode this is it should we run through this woman's resume Uh, do we have the time (laughs) take it away kevin okay i'm gonna start our journey on stephanie j block's resume with her broadway debut in 2003 Stephanie J. Block made her Broadway debut in The Boy From Oz as Liza Minnelli, coincidentally opened like a week before Wicked did, two weeks before Wicked did, which I think is kind of a fun. Sure. And which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Um, then went out on tour with Wicked uh, as the original Alphabet on tour 2005, then came back to Broadway in The Pirate Queen as Grace O'Malley, then back to Broadway with Wicked as an Alphabet replacement. Replacing Julia Murney. Yeah, replacing Julia Murney. Then 2009, very close to my heart, Judy Burnley in 9 to 5, the musical. Mm. Which like, as we were prepping for this, and we've been looking back on her career, I think I was like, oh, is Judy Burnley one of my favorite roles of hers? It's definitely one of mine. I listened to the 9 to 5 cast recording on the regular like it is one of my most played Spotify things or whatever. Like I love that. Always nine to five. <laughs> um, <laughs> next up on Broadway in 2011 was Anything Goes as the replacement to Sutton Foster in the role of Reno Sweeney. Mm-hmm. Then 2012, she's back at Roundabout Theater Company in the mystery of Edwin Drew. First Tony nom. First Tony nom. Then 2016, back on Broadway as Trina in Falsettos. Second Tony nom. And then... The Piece de Resistance, 2018, The Cher Show. As Star Cher. Third Tony nomination, first Tony win. 
And I say first because there will be more. There will There's absolutely be more. If we have anything to say about it, there will be more. It is also worth mentioning that she did like pre-Broadway or developmental things for most of those shows. In addition, she is like off-Broadway. She's done shows at City Center. She's done shows at Second Stage. She has done shows. The Muni. The Muni. Yeah, she's regional. She's off-Broadway. She is working, 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 working. And one of our favorite gigs of hers as Patricia Simon's mother on NBC's Hit in Our Hearts. Hit to me, yeah. Television show Rise. That one shot, Quincy, I talk about it all the time, of her watching Simon sing at the football game. See, but that's not it for me. What is it for you? Mine's is when she's like grappling, like coming to terms with her son being gay, and I'm pretty sure she's like crying, and she goes, it's gonna be hard. And like the way she delivers that line. Oh, yes. I feel like she's in a parking lot in that scene. It's been... How long ago was Rise? I think it was at least two years ago. It was more than two years ago. I was like middle of college. Like I was actively still in college. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say it was like 2016 or 17. Uh, It was definitely... Oh my God, it was 2018. 18. See, I was right. Three years ago, technically. Okay. I feel like Rise came out when musical theater was starting to hinge on like, oh, it's mainstream and cool to do musical theater. And then the show like didn't really take off. And I feel like musical theater kind of died out after that. I agree with you, but I think that the place of musical theater in mainstream TV was like on the decline at that point. Like we had our high point with the glee and the smash of it all. And then like it kind of tapered out. Mm -hmm. And then Rise was kind of just like, well, that didn't work, so I guess it it won't work anymore. Which it does work. We need a new musical show. What could it be? What's the premise? Just bring Smash back. <laughs> no, literally. Netflix, if you're listening. Bring it back. Um, Stephanie has also regionally played Polly and Crazy for You, Nellie in South Pacific, Sarah in Guys and Dolls, Fanny Bryce in Funny Girl, Nancy and Oliver. <sighs> I mean, the range. I can't think of anyone else who has done all these roles. Who else has played Cher and Zydel? Oh yeah, we didn't even like, say Zydel. <laughs> and which, how could we not? I'm sorry, I cut you off. It's fine, I couldn't breathe. And lest we forget, she was slated to star in the new Atlantic Theatre Company musical, Bedwetter, that Josh Harmon yes. was writing the book for. And Kevin, you and I both love Josh Harmon. We love Josh Harmon. And I love Sarah Silverman too. And it's based off her mm-hmm. book. So when that comes back, we're going. Have to. I was so excited for that. I almost like bought like a pre-sale ticket for that. Well, good thing you didn't. I know. Then I was young and unafraid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Stephanie appears on seven original Broadway cast recordings and 14 other albums, including the solo album, This Place I Know, Oof. which... Let, you want to talk about a place I know, it's that album. Okay, what's your favorite song off of that album? We're like giving them a full-on Stuck on SJB right now. Our Stuck on SJB is her entire career. <laughs> making Good? Is Making Good. It, okay, apart from Making Good, obviously. I think it's the, the Dolly Parton cover. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, it's, it is that. I don't know why I said I think it is. It is that. Mine is um, Invention, the like patter song. Ooh-hoo. I love that, mm-hmm. about the first date. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, Stephanie J. Block is coming in. We're going to do kind of like an abridged version of Stuck on SJB with her because I think that's kind of cute and funny. But guys, I, I just like, I don't know. We're so excited for this. We're so grateful that you all can be on this journey with us. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, it is crazy to think about. Like We did it. We did. 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if I think about it too much, I'm going to get nervous. So whatever. But this is like a really cool moment. I mean, this woman truly is like an idol of mine, not because I have career aspirations that are anything similar to her, but just because she brings into the world and into her work the energy that I hope I also can. You know what I mean? Like she is... She comes off as such a good person to work with. And I, I know we've heard her say in interviews that she like always tries to be mm-hmm. kind first. And I think I just love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So excited. I mean, is there anything else that we need to cover or do we just get into it? The moment we've all been waiting for, Stephanie J. Block. <laughs> Stephanie J. Block is here she's here (laughs) she's in the room hello gentlemen this feels so right stephanie thank you i love your history i was telling you before i did snooping on you guys and it was fun to see like the roots of your friendship and your um, obsession with wicked well okay so that is how we wanted to start we wanted to start by telling you our origin story (laughs) which i'm glad you did research but then we thought that you could tell us your history with scent men pod because i feel like we've been annoying you from the beginning of this whole endeavor that's fair that's fair you guys start first all right so i was a young spry college kid trying to break into broadway marketing so i applied for an internship at a theater company that kevin was working at and then i made it to an interview with our friend kevin bianchi here yeah and well and at the last question of our you know the fun question at the end of the interview was what's your favorite musical which of course quincy said was wicked which then, of course, I was like, well, who is your favorite Alphaba? <laughs> and then you actually said via mine because you wanted to sound fancy with the three languages. And then yeah. we were sitting under a picture of you in Edwin Drood. And I was like, oh, but Stephanie J. Block, right? And then you were like, oh, but Stephanie J. Block. And it all clicked. <laughs> and you didn't just say it to get the job. You weren't just like, oh, yeah, Stephanie J. Block. <laughs> I honestly think that's why I got the job. Because when Kevin like referenced the photo of you, immediately all the nerves of like being in a job interview or whatever went out yeah. the window and I was like I can't believe I didn't say Stephanie J. Block was my oh, favorite okay. album. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So we're sitting under you know that big picture of you singing the writing on the wall. Yeah. yeah. What a picturesque way to meet. Yeah. And uh, like truly you were like our bonding factor. You're the reason like we became friends. You know when you first meet someone you don't really have much to talk about. So Stephanie J. Block was our like connecting factor developed into this beautiful friendship. Aww. Well, let's see. So to piggyback on your question, which was, how was I introduced to y'all? Like, when did we first come on your radar? When you, something popped up on my, I think it was either my Twitter feed or my Instagram. It was the audacity of (laughs) Stephanie J. Block (laughs) to be like a cat just belting and pawing on the ground and like licking herself or whatever you guys said and you're like she wasn't just stephanie block at the time she was (laughs) stephanie like the broadway stuff and i kept going back and then all of a sudden in my vocabulary for the next two weeks i was like the audacity (laughs) so just your language and the like the energy that you both spoke with i was like oh I like them. So that made me do a little bit of a deeper dive into your whole thing. And then I started listening to some of the podcasts, which are super fun because I know at least I'm in the alphabet sorority with all the girls and Mm -hmm. I'm listening and going, oh yeah, those are great stories. And then quite frankly, I'd be like, is that what that meant? 
you know, I was actually learning some stuff along the way through these interviews. But yes, honey, it was your energy together and the language and the gesticulations. (laughs) Oh, these are my people. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and you have like been kind of a champion for our podcast, it feels like at least. Oh, I'm glad. I'm really glad. You've been very involved. Yeah. Well... Here's the thing, if you love Wicked and you're not wa- you know, watching or listening, then I think you're missing out because you guys are um, the Wikipedia of Wicked. <laughs> the Wikipedia. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right. So you've done a little bit of research. So you know that in every episode we have a segment called Stuck on SJB. Is that even going to happen this time since I am present? <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> it's going to happen a little bit in a different way. Okay. Last night we were prepping and we were like, okay, how do we do Stuck on SJB with SJB? And as we were discussing what we were going to do, we got a notification that you commented on our Instagram post from yesterday saying, check out this Broadway.com video. Oh, right. Right. You said Joy Behar to play Madame Morrible. I was like, oh, she did. She actually did. Yeah, she did for that yeah, one For night. that hot minute. Yeah. yeah. And we were like, oh my God, that's perfect. Because we truly were like, okay, we don't know what to do necessarily because we're not going to do it in front of her. And then you came in with a perfect moment to talk about. Oh, block. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so for the listeners, what we were talking about is the Yellow Brick Road not taken. I think it was for the fifth anniversary, correct? That's right. Yes. Yeah. And we thought that was a perfect kind of intro into this whole conversation because that whole concert was about kind of the things that happened in Wicked but didn't make it to the final Broadway production and like the different iterations and songs that got cut and something that we really want to talk to you about is Wicked before Broadway. Yeah. So we start every interview by asking, how did Wicked come into your life? Uh, Wicked came into my life from a random phone conversation, or I should say a phone message from Stephen Schwartz. I was working in Los Angeles. This is now 21 years ago. It was February of 2000. Wow. And I had just come home from being Natasha at Universal Studios for the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. And I came literally the olden days pressing the answering machine button. And there was this message, a voice I didn't recognize. And he just said, hey, Stephanie, this is Stephen Schwartz. I wrote Pippin. I wrote Godspell. And I'm like... Did you know who Stephen Schwartz was at the time? Of course. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was a true like musical theater nerd, you know. And he just said, look, I went to dinner with a handful of friends of mine. I'm working on a project and I kind of describe the vocal type I'm looking for and the look I'm going for. And four out of my five friends mentioned your name. So I don't know if you're available, but if you can, please give me a call back and ba 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 ba. Wait, so were you like shook to your core? Shook to my core. (laughs) Poop myself. Like a cold call from Stephen Schwartz is a lot. Yeah. No, no. That was crazy. Crazy. And I thought, all right, well, this is like what I've been prepping myself for to like literally take it back. I'd attempted to moved to New York when I was 22, had the agent, had the unions, did whatever. Came back home because I needed to figure out who I was and not keep shape-shifting at every audition. I was like, Mm -hmm. what I'm missing is just being comfortable and being myself in Mm -hmm. every room I walk into, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what was missing the first time around. Mm -hmm. And that's what I went home to work on. And so this call felt like divine of some kind because I was like, here's the test. You just have to be you, right? Because who yeah. does get that cold call from Stephen Schwartz? Yeah. So 
the very next day, I walk into his apartment in Los Angeles and I said, hi, nice to meet you. And he's like, great to meet you. Do you have some stuff you can sing? I did. What did you sing? Don't rain on my parade because it's been in my book since I was an baby sure. infant child. <laughs> and um, I know that it just kind of hits all the marks, right? Yeah. I can mm -hmm. add color. I do it a little different than the old Babs. I show my <laughs> own personality. It's got great range. And you know, when all else fails, just give him a big ass voice. So did that. And then he told me a little bit about what he was working on. And at this point, it was strictly, um, I would love to play some music for you. So I shared a piano bitch with him and he uh, played Making Good, One Short Day, and As Long As Your Mind. Interesting. And he said, you know, if this works out and you guys, you know, your voice works well with this, really all we're looking for is I'm going to bring in another friend to play the male role and another friend to sing with you for One Short Day. I'm going to be at Universal Pictures. I'm going to have cue cards. And the writer of the musical, Winnie Holtzman, will have cue mm -hmm. cards. It'll be maybe 15, 20 minutes. You can sing from the page if you want. And then that'll be it. And we're presenting a new piece. And I felt like I left there on cloud nine and still yeah. spinning. Not sure if I still was, you know, his choice. Uh -huh. um, but I sang through a few things, made some big mistakes that he notated. And were um, One Short Day and As Long As Your Mind kind of as it is now? or was so, it similar. so similar. Yeah, I don't think As Long As Your Mind changed at all. One short day may have had some changes where the the big headed big guy. What do we even know? I don't even know what they're called anymore. Uh, the wizard, the big flat headeds. Yeah, the bowling pins. <laughs> you were correct. <laughs> um, but all in all, no, the shape of each song was pretty similar. Okay. So that's how Wicked was introduced to me. It was literally on a piano bench with Stephen Schwartz. I heard the first tunes of the creation. And at that point, was it communicated? This is aiming for Broadway. This is what we're trying I to do. I knew it was pretty serious. I didn't think Stephen Schwartz was just going to be working on something that would be a really excellent regional production. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like I, I knew. And once he told me, um, because I hadn't, I didn't know the, the research material. I hadn't read Gregory Maguire's book. Sure. But when he told me that it was the prequel to The Wizard of Oz and that some of these wonderful ideas of who these characters are, the point of view is going to shift to that of the Wicked Witch and how she becomes who we know her to be. And I thought, oh, well, this is genius. You know, this yeah. is genius because everybody has a deep relationship, whether they know it or not, with the Wizard of Oz. I mean, it is yeah. just part of our culture. So I knew it was going to be special and mm -hmm. the music was special. And also the gravity of being a young actress who hasn't made their Broadway debut yet. Right, right. Getting to do like a personal work session with Stephen Schwartz. It was monstrously special. It That's, really yeah. was. And I didn't want to take too much stock. I had lovingly prepared myself in so many ways. You know, I'd been working professionally in some ways since I was 12 and knew mm -hmm. that Broadway was my ultimate goal. But I very rarely ever expected anything. Like I just loved it, had to do it, and said yes to most everything. So when something like this came around, I just thought well, this is an opportunity, whether it's to one song, half a song, note cards, no note cards, you just say yes. For that moment, just mm -hmm. sitting on a piano bench with Stephen Schwartz, mm -hmm. had I walked out of the room and him saying, it's great to meet you, uh, would I have been sad? Sure. But that moment still would have been precious and really special and probably super invigorating right at that point in my career was I was working in amusement parks and dinner yeah. theaters and regional theaters so it was a really special thing and then you know uh I can't remember how many days or, or 
maybe a week after that, we presented it to Universal Studios. And at that point, it was maybe a half a dozen people in a mm-hmm. very small room. Was Kristen there yet? Like who? Not yet. Okay. Wow. So you were pre-Kristen. Pre-Kristen. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's intricate. I feel like the kind of narrative is always that like she was, it was you and her both from day one. That happened in, golly, I'm going to say early 2002 or maybe late 2001. Mm-hmm. And that's when we had the two week full on work session on Universal Pictures Studios lot and changes were being made. But before then, like it was just this wonderful cast of point of origin actors that were gathering. And it was act one after this note card reading presentation. Obviously Uh they must've got the green lit to continue working and we Mm -hmm. did. What were your nerves like for that first presentation? You know, I was pretty calm just because I'm pretty good in the room. I have enough nerves that will get the adrenaline going and allow me to hit notes that I can't usually hit at home, right? That that (laughs) your blood just flows a little differently and you're working on all cylinders. Yeah. But I I was, I felt ready and I felt prepared and um, it went pretty well. I mean, here we go. Yes. A handful of months later, he calls and he's like, hey, we're going to start working on act one and we'd love you to come back. And it's really, again, just going to be this theater in Lancashire, which is in LA. We're going to sit at a big table. We're going to read through some things. Um, I'd love you to learn some of the music beforehand. Cause this is really going to kind of be a churn and burn mm-hmm. the songs that you don't know. I'll be at the piano uh, plunking them out, but it'll be some people in the industry, but a lot of my friends and what we want here this time around is just a gazillion amount, just tons of feedback. That's what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. So at this point, again, a different cast of characters, really wonderful LA actors. The gentleman that played Bach was about six one, And at that point, <laughs> that role, the whole joke was, man, you're the tallest munchkin I've yeah. ever met. Like, and that oh, was a funny. whole running joke through Wicked, which later was cut. Yeah, there was a later recording of a, I think like the last maybe pre-Broadway where I think Gavin Creel was Bach. Oh, and gosh. I think maybe it was like the last time that he, that was the joke, you know what I that mean? That was the joke, yeah. There was a lot for, you know, advocacy for animals in that first act. So Elphaba was, I would say, much more aligned like the book, Elphaba, mm-hmm, almost gotcha. to the point of, I'm going to use a serious word, but she was almost a terrorist. She was willing to kill and die to, you know, for the rights of the animals in this sort of early rendition. Yeah. Um, and act one went really long. I, I mean, I'm going to exaggerate, but it had to be like nearing two hours or over two hours act wow. one. And so they knew at the end of that one that there needed to be a lot of trimming. Because it's still long. It's still like an hour and She's a half. She's long. Right? Yeah, they yeah. got to pack a lot in. <laughs> <laughs> you really earn the girl flying at the end of it. It takes a lot to get up in the air. <laughs> it does. So then they called us all back. Uh, and again, the cast of characters were changing. And at this point, Lenny Wolpe now was playing the, the wizard. So oh. there were some familiar faces. There was an actress named Melissa Fawn who stayed with the original company. But some of those people that sat at that table did remain in the company for San Francisco and then the original Broadway company. And then after that, that was the, okay, now we're coming and we're getting our hands dirty and we're working. And so at this point, Stephen Remus is on board as the musical director. Kristen is there. And is this also crazy for you, like personally as an actress? It's totally crazy. It's totally crazy, but as silly as it sounds, 
I believe in signs and I believe in like God mm-hmm. and the universe, you know, putting things in our path that are supposed to be ours. Uh-huh. And somehow without claiming too much ownership, it did feel right. And I was like, Wizard of Oz was my jam growing up. Judy Garland was my everything growing up. Like I knew the whole story behind many of the MGM musicals. Like so getting my teeth messy into a Margaret Hamilton or a version of a Margaret Hamilton that I had grown up with and just loved these characters so yeah. much. It felt right and it felt organic and I desperately wanted it without trying to be desperate. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to come to the table saying I may not have Broadway credits, but I certainly hope you see that I I deserve to um, be here in this moment and hopefully be a vessel for whatever you're trying to create. And was that a thought in your mind, especially when they brought Kristen in where you were like, oh, I'm like green still, or was that not even green? (laughs) I know. No, that is the joke, right? I mean, that is the joke. Yes and no, because I love Kristen to death and she and I fell madly in love and she was already at a place where she had won the Tony for Mm -hmm. Good Man Charlie Brown. She, I think, was in the middle of filming or developing a um, sitcom that was literally named Kristen. Yes. So she yeah. had made a name for herself and yeah. Mark Platt and Stephen Schwartz were just madly in love with her as mm-hmm. as one does sure. as soon as they met her of and course. they're around her. And she was this wonderful little angel fairy that was whispering all the time going, you don't need to be a name. I'm here. This material lends itself to like making a star. They don't need someone that is going to bring audiences in. This material is going to bring audiences in. So for me to walk into a room with really no expectation other than I just want to do a kick-ass job and I am in love with this role and this piece, (laughs) there's, you know, Christy saying, it's you, girl. It's us, girl. And this was the first time you met her doing this. Yeah. So we fell in love with each other. We made mistakes. Those mistakes were notated. There's still great, huge, fat mistakes that I made in that reading that exist. Well, so that's what I want to know. Yeah, like what? (laughs) Is there anything to this day that's still in Wicked that you're like, oh, I feel like that might be Yes, there are extra measures in the one short day I made huge mistakes where I would hold something over and he loved it. I'm not that girl (laughs) is... And I'm not taking liberties here. I'm really like saying what Steven said, that it was very much me. And I love that. Are you the reason for the low note? No, that was not me. (laughs) That was not me. (laughs) If it was up to me, my little larynx and all of the alphabets passed, our larynx would have stayed way up here doing our business. But, you know, in No Good Deed, when we were presenting it, because it is so wordy and I wanted to look up from the page and and deliver the material and then look. But I lost my place and I was like, um, too much, too much to mention. That's a huge mistake on me because I had looked up and I went too much too much to mention and by the time that happened I found my place again that was not what was written so little things like that that are just they're just little seedlings that you know I still feel so proud and I'm going oh my gosh at the slip of the tongue or not reading the music correctly and holding it or choosing to go up and be bold and be loud which I'm sorry ladies because now again it kind of has lived on I will say that in the early early days we were trying to do defying gravity like a half step or a whole step up 
up. Uh huh. And then it just became an impossibility. Like the (laughs) first couple times I was able to squeeze all my organs and get it out. But we knew like over a long time, eight shows a week, that just wasn't going to be possible. And I don't have like, I look at Adina and her skill, her vocal dexterity and the ability, like her musical ability of being in the moment and changing a musical line right there in the moment, however she's feeling. Like if she doesn't want to go up, she can find something so beautifully funky Mm -hmm. and right that will carry it through somewhere else. I don't have that skill. Like, you know, they would always give us notes going, okay, girls, too much riffing. I was like, "Mm, yeah, I don't think that's directed to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I would need to be given some alternative lines depending on, you know, if I was a little fatigued that day or not. Uh So that's, you know, there's little salt and pepper flavorings throughout this entire show that still are my mistakes that lived on. That's fascinating. Yeah. You said that was happening in early 2001, this kind of first act. uh... Yes, yeah, right. So maybe even first act happened still in 2000, later in 2000, maybe Mm -hmm. September, October then. And then again in 2001, spring-ish or even summer-ish was act two. All of this need to happen before September 11th. Okay. Oh, sure. Right? Joe Mantello was going to fly out to LA and see just a few of us. Okay. And that was a no-go. Once 9-11 happened, oh, gotcha. there was not a whole lot of... Uh, people weren't feeling comfortable flying. So that changed things. So that, it really is a huge bookmark. And we'll tell the timeline. So we had to have presented it to Universal Pictures before mm-hmm. September 11th. And did Universal have any, like, this needs to change, this isn't okay kind of a situation? I'm sure. Uh-huh. I wasn't privy to those conversations. Okay. Um, but, you know, at this point, I do know Mark Platt. He's in the room. I can tell that he's much more than just a movie executive. I can tell that he's got a love of theater and mm-hmm. really wants to be a hands-on. And, you know, it went well. People are crying. It's really something. The big old mm-hmm. standing ovation. And when you see, when you're at Universal Studios and you see, like, Jason Alexander in the heyday of, you know, when Seinfeld is still like there are stars out there and then there's money out there and there's creatives out there and they're giving you a massive standing ovation when pretty much you can expect a lot of those rooms to just be looking at you and you know a a little smattering of this and and looking at their two-page playbill and going "Uh uh-huh and then after that came you know the cookie bouquet from Universal Pictures with all of the (sighs) cookies that are the characters from Wizard of Oz and (sighs) the bouquet of flowers and the notes of we're so excited to develop and what you've so then you do start getting it in your head okay maybe this is you know maybe this is something yeah because when you were doing the like developmental readings were you thinking okay this is mine or were you still i don't know by the end of it i must admit i wanted her and i was thinking okay i feel like we delivered and Kristen was saying it's gonna be you know in her little voice it's gonna be us it's gonna be us and there was just it was magic there's a few times in your career where you're like that was lightning in a bottle yeah and that moment was lightning in a bottle or at least it felt that way and then It was no longer mine. Before Broadway, when they were really searching, I was doing a show called Haven in Los Angeles. (laughs) And it was, you know, what I was doing and saving my money. And I loved doing it, but I couldn't miss a performance. So I had to do a performance, take a red eye. I went a knocking on Kristen's door. I spent the night with Kristen. We ran the scenes. She was like, here, girl, wear this. I brought different outfits. She told me what to wear. And she said, you know, I'll see you in the room. 
next time I'll see ya. Because was Kristen kind of solid at this point? Solid. Oh, yeah. Oh. She was linchpin. She was the cog that was making it all happen. Gotcha. Yeah. So I did the red eye, spent the night, had a pretty early afternoon audition because then I needed to get back on a flight to do my show that night. Oh, you were hustling. And, and I was hustling. And Steven said, hey, look, I can't be in the room for your audition. I've got something in Connecticut. I know you. I love you. Joe Mantella will be there. At this point, it was Tara Rubin casting. It wasn't even Bernie Telsey. Oh, wow. So Stephen Aremis was at the piano. And I feel like Wayne might have been there and Kristen. Okay. And what did you do, Stephanie? I walked in and I, I had to sing Define Gravity. I had to do the scene of Come and Go in Bubble, the catfight scene. Um, I know I sang two songs and I can't remember. It was Define Gravity and I'm guessing it's I'm Not That Girl, right? To show both sides. I was going to say, because that's in the mm -hmm. packet now, right? Yeah, has to be. Had any of it changed since you had been working on it? A little bit, but okay. not so much. And Joe Mantella was delightful in every way. In fact, he came up, he gave me a big old hug. He's like, okay, here's the deal. I am the director, but I know that you have had this material far longer than I. And he was certainly a leader. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I, I didn't think we were going to get in there and collaborate and he was going to pick my brain for all my ideas, but he was very open. And he also just was gracious in saying that you've lived with this role and this material. I have a vision of her in my head. I'd like to see what you bring to the table and we'll go from there. Um, and it, it went well. And Kristen and I felt a great familiarity. Um, and actually, I think he spoke to that and said, okay, I love that you guys already have this understanding and friendship. And I walked out and Tara Rubin walked me out and she's like, get on a plane and feel really good about what just happened. I wow. Feel really good. So you're like, I booked this. Well, God, you'd never want to say that. But, but like, yeah. Again, it was one of those moments for me to be in New York and to be welcomed in that way and to feel embraced in that way. Yeah. So I went back on a plane and I did the job and days passed and I thought, oh no, this is not a good sign. And then my phone rang and it was Stephen Schwartz. And he's like, hey, I heard you knocked it out of the park. And I was like, oh. Oh, I'm so glad you called. And then we just chatted for a hot second, right? Mm -hmm. Catching up. And he said, so you're fantastic. We absolutely love you. Joe was impressed, but we are going to go a different way. So he front loaded it, you know, with all of this amazing feedback, all that I wanted Stephen Schwartz to say to me yeah. and ended in that. He then proceeded to say, but look, we do want you to be part of the original company. In what capacity? We're just not sure. It's a heavy sing. It may be a matinee girl. So Wednesdays and Saturdays, we may have you go on because we just know what a marathon this is. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so out of town? No, that's not the way it works. You'll be in, you know, on stage uh -huh. understudy. Mm -hmm. But once we hit Broadway, whatever that so looks like. you have a like, budget. Yeah, exactly. So whether you're the standby, the matinee girl, uh, or an onstage, whatever, we'd love for you to join us. And I put on a brave face and I just said, thank you so much. I hung up the phone and I wept. I just wept. Yeah. We just talked to Carrie Ellis, who kind of has a similar situation where she auditioned for the Western production thinking that she was going to open it. And then after she had booked it, they told her, actually, Adina's going to come in and you're going to do it after. Oh, gosh. And uh -huh. it is a tough situation. And said with yeah. love, because like we love Adina. Yeah. But... And you, you can't, there's no blame there, right? You want to place the blame on someone. You want to say you took this, but that's not the way this business works. No. Nobody's taking anything from anybody. There's a whole bunch of hats that are making decisions and there's 
three little shells with the ball underneath. And, you know, it's, it's that. And I had to figure out, is this how I want to introduce myself to New York City? As the understudy slash standby. Yeah. Because your narrative entering the yeah. city is it's important. Mm-hmm. And also emotionally, like how comfortable are you standing by for a role that you like also helped develop, you know? Correct. Right. Yeah. All of those questions. And I just thought, okay, here's the deal. I can get to New York. I can get there with a job that I and a show that I think is gonna be really successful. Did you have a feeling it was gonna be a thing? Absolutely. Like, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, even when the reviews came out and they weren't like, you know, yeah. fantastic, right? I just thought, they've gotten this wrong. They, they've missed it's the juggernaut. That is, it's a thing. Yeah. It's not just a book musical and we can look at it as such, but it's beyond that. It's an event. It's an experience. It's Spectacle. a, oh, exactly. Yeah. Right. Was there like a thought in your mind at this point that like, okay, well maybe if I go and I do the alternate or the, whatever that is going to look like, maybe then I'll be the second one. Yeah. Or maybe then I will prove something that I've always needed to prove. Mm -hmm. And maybe then people will not ever say to me again, you don't have a Broadway credit. You're too green. This isn't. Because that must have been a blow, that feedback. It was. It really was. Because I had heard it before. I was going to say, when you were 22 in New York, were you auditioning for Broadway shows? I was. Okay. I got to a big Broadway audition a couple times before, um, one of which I was flown out for Beauty and the Beast for Belle because I was the first singing Belle at Disneyland. Oh, we know. (laughs) The the director and and choreographer of that little 23-minute show at Disneyland they were the creative team for right. Broadway. And so it was myself, Susan Egan, and a girl named Kim Huber that were there oh. to audition for that. Oh. And that was my feedback then. You're just too green. You have to quit Disneyland. I've got to see credits that are really... Because they had found Susan touring with Tommy Toon in Bye Bye Birdie. Oh. And that's where they saw her and went. So it was really about clout. So this was already kind of a pain point for you when this all happened. Correct. Mm-hmm. It was a button for Gosh. sure. So I thought, but here's the deal. If and when I get to go on, I just believe in myself and this character and what I can bring to it. Um, And luckily in San Francisco, I was able to do it that one night with people sitting in the audience and then them coming back. And so you only went on once during your time as understudy. That's it. That's it. That's history. Listeners, if any of you saw Stephanie in that <laughs> yeah. one San Francisco performance. Well, if you can, if you can find the date, so it was going to be June of 2000, well, when were we out of town? 2003? Yeah. June of 2003, whenever the Tony's night was, that was the night. We were about to open out of town. We were going to open on the ninth show of the week. Adina, like any other athlete, is so tired, right? Nine shows? No. Yeah, no. You Uh -uh. don't want to open on the ninth show of the week? Uh -uh. Who planned that? And so (laughs) that Sunday night was going to be Tony night. And everybody was just saying, take it off. Everybody who needs to be here to witness all the things that you bring to the role, D, are going to be in New York for the Tonys. Like, just rest. Let Stephanie go on. Let her get the experience. Yeah. And so I found out in between shows on Sunday Uh. that I was going to go on that night. But I gave it my all, and the cast was remarkable. And I still, like, vividly remember the scenes with 
Chenoweth and the scenes with Norbert Leo Butz. It must have been a very special moment to get to do it that. It was beyond special, truly. Like all of my senses were being assaulted because yeah, I, I mean, really, course. you can see the haze and the light when you were doing Defying Gravity and the, it just was really special. So, and after that, they came cramming through my dressing room door and they said, go do Boy From Oz, come back to us. Whether that's replacing Adina on Broadway or doing the national tour, just come back to us. So that was communicated to you prior to starting Boy From Oz. Right. Can you talk us through that whole Boy From Oz transition? Because it happened kind of <laughs> at the same time. It was a time. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so this, you know, this is again that sort of divine understanding. I went home to find out really who I was in any room and every room, and New York must have smelt it. They just must have. Like, there's a difference. My voice teacher always had told me, right? You got to work from inspiration, not desperation. And I feel like during mm. my years of being 22, there was this little, just love me, yeah. hire me, uh, yeah. let me prove to you, mm-hmm. right? And once that happened, once I understood who I was, like things just started to go boom, 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 boom. So yes, Boy From Oz came while we were uh, rehearsing for Out of Town. What was your ensemble track in Wicked? Well, I'm going to go by wigs because that's going to help me, sure, right? that'll help so us too. So my, my opening outfit was this crazy burgundy thing with the wigs with the, with the horns. points. Right. Correct. Okay. Uh-huh. I was also the like, in one short day, the green mermaid dress with the parasol and, and the, the big Kevin. hat. I know. I got you. Exactly. Yes. That was me. Now let's go back. Let's go back to San Francisco where we're developing that role. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, Joe, I have a great idea. What if, now just go with me on this. What if I'm like a mannequin woman and I'm on this like platform that has wheels and Christopher just wheels me around, but I don't ever really move unless I sing. And he's like, I love it. it." (laughs) He's like, so the platform thing we can't really do because poor Christopher can't like hold you the whole time. What if you're on, what if you're on roller skates? I was like, I love it. I love it. So I'm now doing like all my stuff on roller skates, but Guys, do you know the pitch of that stage? Yeah. Oh my God. And so at any given moment, Miss Block would just like start rolling down the stage or I'd be like cool as a cucumber in my outfit and be like this because I was a magical. So I don't know how many like performances into previews, but Joe's all, the skates are cut. I was like, I hear you. Thank you for the grace of letting me try. Could have been a good idea. It's like... Could have been, should have been, they're good. So anyway, that was my track. Wow. Oh my god! Wait, that made me think, was it difficult to watch someone else do the role night after night after you had been so involved with it? Yeah. Okay. It was really, really difficult. The rehearsal process was also really difficult sure. because I just desperately wanted, when you're working at such a pace, right, and it's such a big show, the ensemble was working with Wayne or Corinne all the time we were just learning you know uh, which used to be which way is the party mm-hmm. you know yeah. Uh, yeah. right all all these different numbers that then joe would come in and be like nope and we had worked on it for two weeks but he hadn't seen it because he's in another room sure. working with the principals and solidifying the script and the scene so i just was desperate to be in i loved my ensemble i loved being with these people I just wanted to be in that room though and get the nuggets mm-hmm. that he was feeding them and, and what how yeah. was the role growing and how was my girl Alphaba changing? Yeah. I just wanted to be there. And during the rehearsal process, was there ever, uh, oh, Stephanie, do you have any input because like you had this or was it like once it was Adina, it was Adina? It was Adina. That's right. Yeah. They, they certainly knew that they could trust me with the part, right? I was just always 
there and ready and watching new pages. She got new pages. I wouldn't, I'd just go to stage management secretly and say, if I could have whatever new pages and I would take them home, learn my ensemble track, but also be up to date with what was just happening in case, with right. the principles. Just in case. Yeah. Diligent stuff. Just being a good standby. That's all. Come on. <laughs> so that was that. And then during, I don't even remember, it was very close to when we were going to leave for San Francisco. So spring sometime, my agent calls and he's like, do you do Eliza Minnelli? I was like, I don't do Eliza Minnelli, but <laughs> well, I, I could learn one. Got, uh-huh, uh-huh, <laughs> right quick. He's like, okay, great. Cause I wasn't looking to get a new job. I was just looking to get in the room and meet new casting directors and directors and kind of say, you know, I'm, I'm here now and I'm with this really right, great show, right, uh-huh. which is always a wonderful way to walk into a room is to say, Hey, I'm in rehearsals for, you know, this big jumbo this show. Big show, right. Did it have that buzz prior to coming to Broadway? Yeah, it did. Now, did people really know what it was going to be? But when you say a new Stephen Schwartz is happening and, and Kristen Chenoweth right. and Adina and it's based on, people were getting kind of excited. There was okay. a there, there was a vibration a around the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we were in an old rehearsal studio called 890 Broadway. And, you know, just the, the that sort of atmosphere of where only four people can get up in the elevator. It just mm-hmm. felt so New York and yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm an artist. See, exactly. I'm an artiste. <laughs> an artiste. And so on a Monday during lunch break, I ran to Midtown. I sang my song for the folks at Boy From Oz. I came back to rehearsal, peeled off the lashes and my little black pencil pants and got right back into it. So then the next day, it was the dance callback. So on Tuesday on my lunch break, I went down to Midtown, said I have 45 minutes and then I got to get back on. Yeah. And um, that apparently went well. And I didn't want to let the wicked family know what was going on because it didn't matter at that point. Right. Right, right. I was just, I was just doing a different thing than lunch break, not going to PAX. I was actually just uh, auditioning for something else. Oh, PAX. PAX. Oh, I can't wait to go back. back? Do you think it will? (laughs) You know, you can only have somebody else grab your crispy treat so many times. Oh oh, God. (laughs) And so then the boy from Oz people came back and said, Hey, we need to have a work session with you on Monday with Hugh Jackman. It's going to be a couple hours. And I was like, next Monday? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, I have to be on a plane to San Francisco. Right. And they oh said, my God. this needs to happen in order for you to book the role. And I was like, how am I going to swing this one? So the agents, they were forthright. Joe Mantello actually gave his blessing. He's oh, like, go cute. kill it, you know? Yep. And that kind of support must have been so nice too, having gone through everything that you went through. It was really great. Yeah, because I'm sure you've heard, you know, the the stories about Joe. He can be a tough cookie, mm-hmm. but there's a artist, there's an actor side of Joe because he was an actor. Like, he's a great human. He's mm-hmm. a fun a human. And I think there's a deep understanding there. So he knew I wasn't trying to do him wrong. And we had two contracts. There was the San Francisco contract. Right, there are two different levels. They didn't want to pay us to, right? So, because gotcha. there was like a point of origin contract and then there was the San Francisco and there was language about yeah. mm, per diem and this, that, and the other that made it. Okay. Just because you did this one didn't mean you were already a part of that one. Right. Even though that Broadway contract was sitting there, two entities. Gotcha. So, but you were um, promised like both contracts. if you Absolutely. Were we had first right of refusal, but we all know what that means is the producer can pay you three weeks salary and, you know, hire somebody else. Exactly. But on our end, it means something, right? From right. The actor's right, right. end. 
So um, half hour out of the room with Boy From Oz, they call me, I get Liza Minnelli, I go, holy crap, I grab my bags and I get on a plane and that's when I sit down and go, I just start to weep because like, is my choice right? Of course it is. I'll be playing opposite Hugh Jackman, but I'm playing Liza Minnelli. What the hell have I got myself into? Out of nowhere, this new yeah. option, this new path. That's right. I'll be quite honest. Like in my head, the way it plays out and the way my journals would read is like, I'm going to pull a Sutton Foster in the sense that, yeah. not that I'm mm -hmm. replacing Adina, but when the time comes, the girl from the ensemble is going to rise to the creed, you know, you yeah. know, and just make her mark. So even San Francisco, you were in that headspace? Well, no, by then I knew. Oh, okay. By the time the plane landed in San Francisco and I had several meetings as far as what the contract looks like and what wages were like and how it all were going to, it was going to time out crazily perfect because Boy From Oz was going to open huh, just like three weeks before Wicked. So I was able to do San Francisco, come back to New York, just have a moment of rest, kind of recalibrate myself now toward a different Oz. I like to say I got two Oz's for the price of one, a different <laughs> Oz, and then start rehearsals with that. And the beautiful thing was we were rehearsing in, um, you know, 42 West in the new studios. And I would come down and say hi to the gang at Wicked. And we would go to PAX or lunch together. And then beautiful sort of communal feeling to be creating uh -huh. or have helped created and now be a part of this one, but still feel this deep connection and friendship yeah. with the cast of Wicked. Yeah. But yeah. what was it like watching Wicked go through its whole opening? Were you just so involved with Boy From Oz at that point that you weren't paying attention? I was. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> there were all sorts of phone calls being like, girl, and this, and you're not going to believe, and can you believe? Yeah. Because um, building Wicked as a whole uh -huh. was just complicated. Yeah. There were a lot of personalities sure. and a lot of strong opinions. And sometimes those opinions would come to a head right in front of us. I'm not airing dirty laundry, but after our first, our last run through in the rehearsal studio before going to San Francisco, I mean, Joe essentially drilled us a new one and said, I don't know what that was. There were moments, there yeah. were really tense moments, yeah. but there were also great moments. You know, there would be, you'd walk in and you would see Joe DeLude like trying all different techniques of trying to get Adina green and then mm -hmm. testing it on my hand too to see what it did to my skin. And you just go, holy crap, this is real, like this is happening. Yeah. The different posters that would come in, which were so cool because I had never witnessed that. Yeah. And when you have Universal Pictures that knows what media can do, what knows what PR can do to sell a show, you're looking at these posters and you're seeing all these people. And, you know, a lot of us got to vote, not that our vote meant anything, but we got to have our two cents as to what we thought the image was the most gripping and mm -hmm. it was really special. But then there were times where, you know, heads were mm -hmm. being clenched. And then out of town, oh man, I can remember we were staging Which Way is the Party? Love What's it. it called now? Dancing Through Life. <laughs> was it Dancing Through Life then? No, I think we were no. still Which Way is the Party. Yeah, I, I think it yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. And we all had these exquisite Susan Hilferty vibrant jewel tone costumes. Ooh, Everybody had something different. Mine was a little like Lucille Ball uh. where it was um, like a false skirt with pencil pants and like a sweetheart neck and sleeves and then like a third sleeve on the back, you know, Ooh. something like that. And we were trying to do the number with the lifts and the things and Wayne's like, I'm not seeing my choreography at 
all what is happening. So that was another moment. Everything stopped and we're on stage. And Joe's like, everybody come to the lip of the stage. And he's like, come forward, come forward, take that off, take that off, take that off, take that off. And literally by the end of that 30 minutes, there was just a pile of color and fabric that had to be guys half a million, a million wow. dollars just sitting on stage. And he's like, Cut. gone. They cannot wow. do their dancing. They cannot do it. Right. So there were just moments like that to, for me. That's when I was like, oh, I guess I am green because I've never experienced this sort of creating and Im- not impulsive. I mean, it was coming from a place of reason yeah. and a place of servicing the dance and servicing the storytelling. Right. But the decision making that had to be done then and there, it was terrifying, but it was also like awe inspiring to witness, to be like, okay, yeah. he just made a decision. You know what I mean? Right. And there goes genius Susan Hilferty off to design and, and make something completely different. And the black and whites that you now see that allow it to be from shiz, but allow the dancers to do what they need to do. And so you can see every movement and not be confused by that third arm of fabric yeah well and even that's different than um because as you said you were working since you're 12 you've been in rehearsals you've been in these situations your whole life but to be there when something is being created is different than just rehearsing a rogers and hammerstein show that's right something had already been tried and true and you can have a new interpretation of it right you know what works already that's right that's right this was different and it did feel like high stakes just because of the price tag that was attributed to the show. Like yeah. it was 20 some million dollars or something. Uh, and at that point, that's mad money. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think they got so many things right. There are just tender moments that if I were to go back to the script that I'd be like, oh gosh, that was something special that I missed and I can't really even vocalize. But I, I remember watching things fall to the stage and going, oh no, I can't believe that's gone. But could I differentiate whether it was me just being married to it or <laughs> if it's something that really did help propel the story and make it impact all the audience? I don't think I could ever be like a real objective voice in, in that way. Yeah. yeah. It is crazy to think about your Broadway career, at least in the sense where it's like your first Broadway role was in like a supporting character, you know, and then like you mm-hmm. never really had to like do the let's work our way up to leading. You mm-hmm. kind of like hit the ground running once you got to Broadway. I did hit the ground running and I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful that it took me, you know, I, I like to say by 11 years old, I was so focused and knew just what I wanted to do, but I didn't get to Broadway until I was 29. So mm-hmm. you're looking at like 18 years of doing all the things and pulling out all the tools of your tool belt. And you just have to, you're going to play the ingenue. You're going to be this sassy. You're going to be the funny girl. You're going to do the thing. So I just, I just believed in the art form and I believed in what I could bring to a, a room, not being cocky, just saying, you know, I got a lot of years under my belt already mm-hmm. and My work ethic always was, I don't care if I'm in Wichita. It felt like Broadway to me. Mm -hmm. That's why Miss Thing is falling to the ground and (laughs) licking the palms. That's where that audacity comes from. Yeah. Let's go through, you're in a new Broadway show. Wicked is a new Broadway show. You have to go through the Tony circuit of it all. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? Because just as a human, that has got to be hard to watch Wicked's whole Tony journey. 
That is correct. Yes. I still love the company. We still have great friendship. I go, I mean, I do my show at Boy From Oz. I put on my fancy green jacket and my little pompadours <laughs> and I go to Tavern on the Green. I go to the opening night. There's hugs and, and kisses and congratulations. And I don't feel like a foreigner or like I'm not supposed to be there. Right. Okay. It just, it still feels. So you saw Wicked on Broadway. Sure. Okay. Perfect. Sure. So now Tony's roll around and I'm seeing the nominations and knew it was going to happen. There's no you way knew. you're not going to present this with those two roles and not know that one of these two girls are going to win the Tony. Right. I felt that the part of Elphaba, especially out of town, Elfie didn't have as much humor. She really was oh. all angst, all down. Those little quips and those little jabs didn't come until Broadway. And they wanted that side of her to come through because it was just feeling oppressive, quite frankly. Right. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to give her levity. So knowing what Kristen can bring to any role. And that was remarkable to see her go. And what if I do this with the lipstick? She just would have idea after idea after idea. And it was genius. And I was like, so if I'm looking at what's here on the page and how the arc of a character and what sort of fulfillment happens to an audience and how we get to watch someone grow that's Elfie I mean it's Mm -hmm. just there on the page Mm -hmm. if you're watching someone and this is not a diss by any means Adina's a genius we love Adina but to watch Chenoweth create a comedic role to watch her create popular Mm -hmm. Uh, well and it almost feels like Wicked was almost created as a vehicle for Glinda and Chenoweth and then it kind of morphed into something different it did The music and the passion and the heart that Elfie just brought and the underdog connection between her role and those that sat in the audience, how they could tap into, oh, crap, that's me. Oh, crap, I've been ostracized. Oh, crap, right? Right. The, The presenting of the popular girl is fun and it will make us laugh, but the understanding of somebody and that sort of underbelly of a person right that's alphabet and mm-hmm. you, you can't deny that yes then glinda does grow and learn and we see all of her human mm-hmm. you know um aspects come mm-hmm. into play but by then you've already you've latched in yeah. so mm-hmm. you can laugh and be a spectator and want to be her friend and want to be her want to be glinda but i think most people go uh, but I am an Alphaba. Yeah, well, and with Alphaba too, that's where you get the new information about these characters. Right. Like, because Glinda, right. you meet her and you're like, oh, she's in a bubble. She's wearing the dress. I know her. But right. when Alphaba comes through those doors and she looks like any 20 year old kid going to college, that's like, oh, right. oh, this is new. This is, yeah. So I totally get it that on the page. The revealing of it all is happening through the vehicle of, of Elfie. Right. Yeah. So yeah, when the Tonys happened, I was at a bar. Uh, I, literally, <laughs> I was not nominated that year. A large portion of the leading cast was. So it was Hugh, it was Beth Fowler, it was Isabel Keating. Did you think maybe you'd be nominated? I mean, there was a great kick-ass number. Did I think I was the best Liza ever? No. But did I also hear the response every night of an audience that was uh, really enjoying my work and especially mm-hmm. she loves to hear the music? Like that little chunk. Yes. I, I certainly thought was worth taking note of. Oh, gosh, none of this is coming from a place of humility and I'm so no, no, I'm I think, sorry. Listen, we'll do it for you. Because I also think that <laughs> 
Pirate Queen deserved a nomination as well. Oh, thanks. Oh, 100%. Like, you are working hard in that, that show. That really got shunned. <laughs> we can go into that. Okay, anyway. So I do the opening number with Hugh for the Tonys that night. Mm -hmm. I stick around. We watch from the wings who's winning. You know, I wanted to support Isabel, who played Judy Garland, my mom, who I thought mm -hmm. was still a stellar. It went to Anika from Carolina or Change. Yep. Mm -hmm. And she was divine. And then comes a, a banner for Best Musical. And I don't know if anybody's ever shared this for you. Okay. Guys, for a split second. The Wicked poster came down, and as soon as it came down, it went back up, and down came Avenue Q. Yes, I, know. I remember that. Very La La Land Moonlight. Honey, if you were paying attention or if you were in the room, it was, and best musical goes to Wicked <sighs> Avenue Q. And we all went, ah! like, what just happened? So we don't know who pressed the wrong button. We don't know what the hell. Because did people think it was going to be Wicked? So, the world. Right? Yeah. And you're talking to someone who has worked with Jason Moore, loves Jason Moore, sure. can absolutely see the ingenuity. I mean, to get that much humanity and heart from puppetry, like all of the attributes are there for it to be amazing. It's just, I don't know. Like there was, was special. There was like something. It was like the Book of Mormon year when it was just like, it is what everyone I think expected that it was going to be. Carolina Change or Wicked because those were these two right. kind of juggernauts that hit at the sure. same time. And it was the typical Tony formula where it was like commercial and artistic. Yes. yes. And you know what? There was a massive campaign and we all know that the award season, it's got a lot of play and campaign and Avenue Q had the most incredible campaign. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but did we believe? Of course. But do you also want to believe? Of course. Right. Do I think I know anything about how the Tonys work? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know, you'd like to think you do, but so much happens behind sure. closed doors and in corners that I can't speak yeah. to it. Right. So that was that. Then I went to a bar and uh, <laughs> I was watching speeches and I was drinking something that had peach flavoring. And it was <laughs> I just, love that for you. I was looking at the TV and just... Not being as respectful as I should and just sure. saying secrets that shouldn't be out loud and I was sloppy. I mean, Stephanie, that is hard for any person to have to go through. Sloppy. I was sloppy. That's good. And then went home and then started a new day and a new gig. Had the Monday to recoup and then went back to work at Boy From Oz and, you know, it changed. But I will say that how they invited me in and how important they then made the tour feel was special. Well, yeah. so let's go through that. Cause I didn't know that you had been offered tour or Broadway replacement. It was, how's this going to work for you? What do you want? And I made it through my agents. I said, you know what? My desire would be yes to get that second Broadway credit, but I want to create something. I want to be in that room with Joe Mantello. Back in that room. Yeah. I want to have a Glinda where she and I have a unspoken language and something that's built from the bottom up. I don't want to be placed into a well-oiled machine, you know? Mm -hmm. And by even though still so many of my friends were there and it would have been kick-ass to be on the Gershwin stage, yeah. there would have been a lot of magic taking place there. I just needed to start to get to work on an Alphaba who I knew and loved and would allow a forum for that to happen. And that mm -hmm. was only going to ha be happening if we started from day one, square one, rehearsal one. And did you kind of know that 
if you did the tour at some point, you'd end up on Broadway? I hoped that to be the case. Uh Yeah, I really did. When certain things happened, like an injury that took place, I thought, well, maybe not. Maybe I'm a liability now and that's not going to happen. But it was great to know that in the beginning, right, they invested in the commercial in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So it's before we had even really started the tour. We were filming that commercial in Toronto. That classic, you singing Define Gravity. Yes! Yeah, slightly, not quite in the middle of the note and I hate listening to it. Stephanie, it's so good. I can't. Why that lives on to this day? I have stood in the lobby at intermission enough times to know that it is right in that pocket. It's not in the sweet spot. It's really not. (laughs) It's somewhere in the general vicinity. It's truly what we all (laughs) latch onto as Wicked fans, so you should know that. (laughs) Thank you. And then the Grimmery came out, you know, and they were very loving to be like, we're going to have this page. Do you approve this page? And I was like, are you kidding me? This is the Bible. And this was all happening because they opened and it was boom, boom for a national tour to go out that fast. It was still in this real, like, you know, hyped up place. So it felt good. And especially uh, quick for a show that did not win Best Musical that year to putting a tour out. Right. And it didn't need it. I mean, again, you know, because of where (laughs) clearly it didn't need the Tony win. That must have felt special because it was kind of something you could own of the character is opening the tour. Oh, it felt good. It really did because it was so fresh. And I've heard Julia also speak to this. That show hadn't hit any of these cities so the energy i mean maybe sharon celine dion felt the way i felt when we opened (laughs) (laughs) maybe just maybe maybe because really when you do define gravity and the way that audience responds right because we were sitting down at the beginning we were in toronto for a good two months we were in chicago for like six weeks we were in la for well over a month there were these major sit downs so you just became part of that moment in time for LA and Chicago. And it Mm -hmm. was almost like, you know, when Hamilton first went out, that's what the buzz was. It felt really great. Yeah. Now I was also, you know, nursing an injury and still doing physical therapy and having to, it became a whole thing. Well, so can we talk about that a little bit? Because we got a little bit of it from Jenna Lee Green when she was on, because she also did that no good deed entrance. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because here's the thing, Stephanie, I feel like the lore of your injury, that tour injury is so... Hold on, we've got fingers from Kevin. What's oh, no, on? I was, it was two wires, right? And it was one that... It was, yeah. Talk us through what that entrance was. All of Act 2, I was wearing a harness oh under God. the heavy dress. Yeah, I know. It was Ouch. it really limited movement and all that. As if it's not heavy enough. It was heavy enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at this point, we had one of our stagehands who was practicing it over and over. And it was a sandbag and they measured his weight and blah, 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 blah. Well... His weight didn't match the gals that were playing Alphaba. So there were a lot of mistakes when we would just dry tech it. And then my body would come down and hit the, you know, hit the floor or not quite lift due to weight. Finally, we got that issue laid out. They also decided that they were not going to do it the old fashioned way. You know, they were going to have an automated system. So they programmed it in to where I run stage right. They hook me up. Mick was his name. So he's such a lovely guy. Uh, would h- hook me up. It would take me about 10 or 12 feet up into the air. Do you have a broom? We asked Jenna Lee. Yes. This. See, Jenna said no. 
I had a broom. You oh, had a broom. She had a broom. No, it wasn't between the legs. It was just like, I'm magical with a, you know, parallel broom. Style, yeah. Correct. And she was right in saying that it would take you this way and then it would just kind of bring you down, like gently bring you down center stage where the book would be there. Mm-hmm. I'd hand one monkey the broom, mm-hmm. the other monkey would undo and like you make the movement to get them away and then you'd start the spell, right? So we'd done it a couple times and it just, again, it would never land right. I'd still be hanging in the air, never injury, but always not successful. Right. So were you not feeling comfortable with it to begin with? No effing way. I didn't feel unsafe. I just thought this is going to end the show and there's nothing to be done when you're hanging off the ground and you can't release yourself. So more than anything, I just didn't want to be embarrassed on the first preview going dingle, dangle, dingle. You know what I mean? In this powerful moment. So anyway, I'm released. It, it still hasn't gone well. This has never gone right. But they say, get out of hair and makeup, get out of costume. I'm sitting there and well, actually I'm sitting in street clothes and in green because I'm not sure if they're going to use me for something else for lighting or whatever. Sure. They say, Stephanie, get out of green, go home. And I'm thinking if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's like a night or two before our first preview. Like it mm-hmm. is the 11th hour before we're supposed to have an audience. And um, they call me back to stage. We're going to run the flying sequence just one more time. And guys, when you're opening a new show like this out of town, your crew is exhausted. When you go home, they don't. They're still working. So these guys are tired. They're just tired. And I could feel it in my belly that I should have just used my big girl voice and said, I don't feel comfortable tonight, Mm. but I will come in early tomorrow when everybody's refreshed and we can do it then. Like I'm happy to do that. But I didn't. I wanted to be the good soldier. I didn't want to make waves. So I was like, okay, let's do it. Run, run, run. Stage, right. Grab my broom. Mick hooks me up and one pops and my back goes out and I can feel it. And my mic is still on. I was like, I'm hurt. I'm so the whole the whole theater and my friends backstage, everybody's hearing me go, I think I'm hurt. I heard a pop. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. So whoever is working the automation on stage left is pressing the button to stop it. But that's not helping the situation. It's actually creating the thing to want to complete its thing. So Derek Williams, he starts grabbing. He's like, I need a ladder. Just get me a ladder. He gets a ladder. He's trying to get me off. But this thing is just, it's making my body flail all over the place. You're jerking in the air. Yes. Because there's no way you can use your core or do anything when you're just hanging from one side of your body. And finally they get me down and I'm like, I really think something's happened because I'm not walking right. So they immediately get me to the hospital. Mark Platt comes with me and we're in Toronto. So their medical system is very different. But I will say this, because of Wicked is Wicked and because Mark Platt is Mark Platt, we get the best orthopedic surgeon who works on all the hockey teams, right? He's immediately called in. He meets me. He's like, you're you're jacked up. I think it's all... Um, soft tissue damage and they're able to protect and isolate exactly where the injury is and we do find out that it's soft tissue but that it's acute soft tissue Mm -hmm. so they think I'm going to be out of the show for like six weeks and I said fuck that that's not happening yeah so again Mark Platt being Mark Platt set me up with so I mean guys like craniosacral therapy acupuncture water therapy I was in therapy probably five to six hours a day like an athlete because at this point you're like I'm gonna play this role like I have right it happened and within two weeks I was back 
doing it, but it was incremental. It was like four shows, six shows, seven shows, eight shows. I was going to say, what was that first show back? Were you feeling good? I was because I just wanted to do it. And then I was at that point, I was at the school of thought, you know, 150% and then we'll figure out what that looks like afterward. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? You'll deal with it later. Now, were concessions made? Sure. Was I going to run a little less? Yes. Were they going to be able to change a few of like squattings and was Derek careful with me and was, you know, Kendra, Kassenbaum, Mike Glenda Mm -hmm. careful with me? Yes. But I certainly didn't want to. And I'll be real honest. I'm one of those that if the story is going to be compromised, I won't go in. I mean, Mm -hmm. I still do that to that day. You know, if I, like Julia said, if you're in the shower warming up and Wizard and I isn't happening, what makes you think the other 17 songs are going to come out? So, you know, just just pick up the phone and say, the story's not happening today, you know, and they've got a great swing or somebody who's going to kick ass in the role. So I knew if I was going to be a detriment to the show or to the part, I just wasn't. But in week two, I was going to get on stage one way or another and make it happen. Yeah. I cried a little bit during that. <laughs> That's amazing, though. So, you're, so, okay, so you've gone through all of this. You get to your first show back. I think Jenna told us they had pushed back the opening a little bit so that you could they did. do the opening. They did. And they brought in Christy Cates, who was a godsend and killer. A legend. She was a legend. Legend. Truly. I am indebted. She's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So you get to that opening night. Are you at the top of that mountain just looking at everything that you beat to get there? I mean... Yeah, it was extraordinary. And just to see people's faces, like the response... When you do a performance in this way or play a role in this way, whether it's the magnitude or the emotion of it, people just look at... I I know it sounds bizarre, but after the show, they're looking at you in a different way that's Mm -hmm. just like... You're this alien person, you know, because of what you've created in that space for them. And that was kind of the experience of the tour. It's just like every day. I mean, you'd be looked at like, oh, my gosh, you you play Alphaba. It came to a point. Another story that my friends love to laugh is I made sure that I either had massages or facials. Right. Because that green, even though they say it doesn't get in your pores and the crevices. Oh, yes, it does. Liars, liars, liars. I've worn the makeup myself. I know. (laughs) She sticks and then ends up on your towels and your pillowcases. Yes. So I, I would go and like get these facial treatments and they're like, do you know you have green in your hair? And I'd be like, yeah. And at first I'd tell people that I was alphabet and wicked with sure. all the verve, you know? And then all they want to do is talk about how long does it take? Do you love the show? Mm-hmm. What does the makeup feel like? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And so I've learned now, I would just tell people, oh yeah, sometimes I'm a clown <laughs> at birthday parties and stuff. <laughs> Nobody cares. clown. <laughs> yeah. So I would and just you get to tell enjoy people, your facial. that's right, Papa. They'd all be quiet <laughs> and just let you have the facial or the massage. So that every town felt like a new opening. And yeah. it's like a Broadway opening in... Toronto and LA and Chicago and St. Louis and Atlanta, these really cool towns. And LA was extraordinary because it was, you know, kind of packed with Hollywood folk. And they just, because they do honor theater there, but not in the way we do in New York, it in and of itself is just kind of foreign and magical. And, you know, how does this happen? So playing the Pantages with this show was It was amazing. I mean, the tour was amazing. It was exhausting. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of things that I could never foresee, such as the injury and maintaining that. It was that experience on so many levels was just beautiful and trying and challenged me. But at the end of it, I was like, you know what? 
nobody's going to fuck with me anymore. Okay. You know what I mean? I have done it. And then you double down and you play a role like Pirate Queen, which in and of itself, again, is a monster. And running the full gamut. And I was like, okay, these three roles of, of Liza and Elfie and Pirate Queen, if that was my whole entire career... I think I would feel pretty proud with the strength yes. and the fight and the impression that I put out there as to the performer that I am and the woman that I brought to the stage, right? Yeah. And it's crazy to think that like that was just the start of your career, Stephanie. You know? Yeah, now we're at 2007 or 2008. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the ask to Broadway like? It was in full David Stone fashion, knowing that I had done the tour, him wanting me to come to Broadway almost immediately after, but Pirate Queen seeped in and I desperately wanted to do Pirate Queen. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, I had you know fallen in love with Sebastian Arcellus, who still had, poof, that's right. Wait, I have to tell you, story about Sebastian. Is it his buns in the white pants? I mean, absolutely. I wasn't going to bring that up in front of his wife. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was at the Brigadoon opening night at the plaza, okay. we were up at the step and repeat taking photos and I was standing next to Sebastian and I was like, get in there, like go take photos with her. And he goes, no, I want her to have her moment. And that is my husband. That's your husband. He's, oh my God. Yeah, he's remarkable. He's just remarkable. Yeah. So Seb had also auditioned for Pirate Queen and they wanted him for a role. David Stone said, nope, that's not the way we're going to play it. We're not setting this precedence. You're fulfilling your contract. But I had done Pirate Queen, right? I went off, mm-hmm. but I fulfilled my contract. So again, right. no breach, no breach yeah. of anything. Yeah. Um, Pirate Queen wasn't going well. And within the words, you know, there was hubbub. There was all sorts of doubt. There was all sorts of rumors. There was all sorts of, for some reason, New York decided to shut off what Pirate Queen was before it even came into town. It yeah. just was... We're not going to pay attention to you. It was the wrong time. Wrong time. Um, There are a lot of stories that go along with why that happened and a lot of misunderstandings. But David Stone immediately, I mean, I don't even know if we opened Pirate Queen. And he was like, so Pirate Queen's not going to last. So why don't we start talking about (laughs) I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) This is my show. I mean, I haven't even opened Pirate Queen. How are we discussing? No. (laughs) He's like. Girl. So when Pirate Queen did, you know, come to an early close, we should say, you know, I was like, well, thank goodness Sebastian was not in Pirate Queen with me because he was our steady income at that time. Um, And then, you know, the draw was he was going to Broadway and I was going to join him. That was going to be something really special to do Wicked with him on Broadway. Um, Then two more, three months later, he got Jersey Boys and he left my ass. Uh, But I am glad that I came full circle I took, I think, my last bow in maybe October 2008. And then it just was pretty quiet until there was a panic conversation. Many years later, I'm about to fly to London to sing for a Scott Allen concert. And every all the witches are mm-hmm. sick. Or as they say, poorly. They're all sick poorly. in London. And I, I'm going to say it's Carrie, but I could be wrong. What was it Miss Ellis? If we know the year, we can figure it out. I'm going to have to look back as to when Scott Allen had his like 
West End show with all these West End stars. And then I flew in. It was with Patina Miller. I mean, it was like Caroline okay. Sheen. It was a whole list of yeah. really wonderful yeah, performers. Yeah, yeah. And they said, hey, how would you feel if? And I was like, zoinks. So they <laughs> got the script to me immediately as I was packing my bags. Years later, right? Like a couple years, years at least. Years, years. Okay. They started to zip. They were pulling my costumes and zipping up costumes. They were shipping them. Oh, it was like gonna happen. It was going to happen. And it was going to happen. Like, I think they have shows on Monday. So I was doing Scott Allen's concert on like a Sunday night. And then I was going to be in rehearsal on Monday day. And I was going into the show Monday night. West End debut. So I was like thinking about that, but doing that and going, okay, it's in my bones. And and then it got called off at the last minute as one of the, maybe the standby or the swing started to feel better. and, Uh And she went on. But that was another moment where I was like, Oh, if I get to do this on the West End, yeah. petrified, but just thrilling. Oh, it's that adrenaline rush that we all long for. Could you, you know? do it? Like, would you go back today? She too old. <laughs> no. Oh, I think so. Now, here's the deal. If they were to say, hey, Steph, would you come back for like a month? Yes, of course. Or do you want to come back for a couple months and do five shows a week, six shows a week? Sure. But, you know, it takes you say yes to the life of Alphaba, right? And now I'm a wife and I'm a mom, and that's a whole different equation. Um, But do I think I could still? I might look a little, I mean, I would look old. But to sing the songs, to be in that again. But I won't kid you, every time there's a benefit or something at the Gershwin, mm-hmm. I go up that huge elevator, I exit the elevator, walk on stage, and I'm like, mm, woo, woo, huh, like all of a sudden you just get tired and itchy and things just start to happen. Well, so that's interesting. We like to ask everyone, was it vocally difficult for you? Like wh- where did it fall on the vocal spectrum for you? Especially since you were involved with creating it. Tour a lot more difficult than Broadway. I know everybody's going to tell you that. Sitting in one place in your own home, knowing you know what that day looks like every day is just a mental comfort that prepares you for that moment in time for Alphabet. Right. It is a tough saying, but it was not necessarily created for me, but it was created on me. Right. And there's a difference, right? So it may not have been mine, but I was the voice to which things were molded. And You're in that DNA of that score. I am. It's in my DNA. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I wasn't tired, you know? Of like, course. that Saturday matinee was rough. <laughs> and I will say, like, the longest haul I ever went without having to call out was, like, six weeks straight. And then I'd just be oh. like... Okay, I gotta, I gotta call. I've earned a night. Uh huh. I'm calling in sick, sick of the story. I cannot tell the story one GD dad. I cannot so. pick up the broom one more time this week. Uh uh-uh. uh, no. But it's not as fatiguing as some other things. But I've also heard somebody else speak, and maybe it was Julia. That it is the, it's just the passion and the 60 miles per hour from start. People say the yelling yelling. is Yes. Oh, God. She never just runs on, you know, zen. She's just never in that place. (laughs) Right. No. And if you're not speaking, it's still that sort of, you know, you constrict your muscles and you're protecting yourself. And so you're always in a state of fight or flight with Alphabet. Always. And that's exhausting. Yeah. So... Kevin and I like to play a game with all of our guests. Yes, we do. <laughs> Where we have a theory that every Alphaba of the three main songs that Alphaba sings has one song 
that they resonate with that informs their performance mm. oh but we wanted to add for you oh yeah you get a fourth option are you oh. a wizard and i mm-hmm. defying gravity mm-hmm. no good deed mm-hmm. or making good alphaba oh my god i'm not any of those okay <laughs> Ooh, well then tell us t- what's your answer well mine is so i will always live in this place i'm not that girl because i wasn't that girl mm. i wasn't chosen it wasn't me and so I would bring that to the stage every night. They never, they didn't choose me. It's not going to happen. So the hope was always there. If you just gave me the three choices, I would be a wizard and I. I loved singing that song. I loved setting the stage. Now, granted, <sighs> I also had the backstory of making good, right? Sure. So it is layered. Making good was pulled and I, I love the song, but I understand. She had too much certainty when she sang Making Good. Yes. It wasn't a, a, an I Hope song, which the lead of the show in the first couple minutes needs right. to lay out for the yeah. audience. It's a I already am, and now everybody else just needs to see it song. That's interesting. Wizard and I is, oh my God, when I meet him, and I hope I don't screw up, and this is going to happen, and I hope this happens. They are of the same ilk. But there's a slight difference where there's there just too much confidence in uh-huh. making good. Uh-huh. So I like the growth of where she came. But when I sang I'm Not That Girl, it wasn't storytelling. It was a cathartic and purging experience wow. for me. Wow, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Also, what's interesting is like Kevin and I, I think we talked about this on the podcast, clocked you for a Wizard and I alphabet because you bring the making good energy to the Wizard and I. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Because in a lot of ways, I think making good gives us more information on Alphaba, I think, as a character. You know? Yeah. Like you get into her daddy issues and all of that. And I think yeah. that's really intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I love with every character I approach, it, it doesn't matter how strong you are, there's got to be that vulnerability. And making good and Wizard and I allow for that. You still see her strength. You're never doubting that this woman has power. Mm-hmm. It, she may be out of control, but she's still. When she steps into a room, you know she stepped into a room. Mm-hmm, right. And she's protecting all of that vulnerability, but it's it's so there. And when she releases that, that I think that's what allows the audience to truly go on the journey with her. If you just saw the defying gravity moment and you hung on to that, defying gravity doesn't hit that way. You can honor it and be like, yes, she is singing. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. But if, if you're not invested from Wizard and I and where she came from, that doesn't pay off. No Good Deed doesn't pay off. You know, I love no, nah, I love them all. But No <laughs> Good Deed, again, because I made the mistakes and I can have this palpable memory of being there and helping create and mash up. And, you know, yeah. when I say Fierro, I know he's, I'm in love with him or he's going to be my oh. husband or he is my husband. There's just a real personal connection to yeah. um, telling the story, yeah. you know? It is interesting, though, because every alphabet we've had on has said that they loathe the wizard and I. And it's the really? worst of the three. Yes, yes. they were always really? said, every single person said it was the hardest one for me because it's straight out the gate. And that's kind of oh. where you figured out how your show was going to go that night. And you were the first person to just flat out say, I loved singing that I song every night. It. The only thing I hated was the pose at 
you know, I could never quite get that fucking pose right. And I got so many notes on the end. Can you lift the arm? Okay, what we need is less this and more this. Less Liza and more this. I was like, oh. oh my God, they know it in that way. That's interesting. <laughs> we also would get so many different conflicting notes that I kept a journal. So we would get notes from like Lisa Laguio, who was the associate director. Mm -hmm. And we'd get notes from Joe and Stephen Aremus and then whoever our conductor and musical supervisor was. And I would keep such detailed on this day at this time at intermission or after it was that, but and they told me this. So when something contradictory, I'd be like, Oh my gosh. Okay. That's so interesting. Because Pull up the receipts. I pulled up the receipts, but it was the only way that I had proof that I wasn't going crazy. And I wasn't trying to go against anybody's direction. I was just like, well, that's conflicting to what, um, interestingly enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such an asshole. As we talk about making good, it makes me think when you finally got to play the role, or even when mm -hmm. you saw it on Broadway, was there anything that you witnessed that you were like, oh, that's different, like that's new to me? Yeah, or anything that you missed from... Yeah, I would say that the Bach and Nessa Rose relationship became quite different than what I remember. Um, I would say, again, the Dr. Dilliman role kept getting, you know, shaved mm -hmm. down. And that, I thought, was a very special and interesting relationship. But it was time-consuming. Mm -hmm. You have to lay the groundwork for an audience, again, to believe this friendship, this relationship, and mm -hmm. to really invest in the humanity of a, you know, a goat professor. Or, <laughs> and, and they just were, they were running out of time. And they're like, we have to focus on these relationships. And not that it's a periphery storyline, but it has to be adjacent to, as opposed to equal weight. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. But no, pretty much for me, when I saw it, it was just how spectacular, how the production value, how everything, you know, Eugene's sets with Kenny, his lighting, like I've never been able to see that. I remember being in the audience and for the first time witnessing the cathedral lighting with, you know, Adina going up in the apple. And even then seeing her feet, seeing how the magic's made, it still was something where you're like, Oh, damn. You know what I mean? So yeah. to be in the audience then and to witness it from start to finish, the downbeat that you feel the vibration under your feet and the, the dragon wings start to move, like all of it was just so mega to me that you know what you're a part of when you're backstage, but you mm -hmm. don't really understand until you're sitting in the audience and witnessing what the audience gets to witness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Stephanie, yeah. this has been so great. Come on. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot more stories to tell, but I hope I gave oh you some gosh, new info and Stephanie. checked off some boxes. And I just like can't thank you enough for doing this. For right now and for everything. And for previous. your whole yeah. uh, The audacity. The audacity. <laughs> okay, you two. Be well. I know we'll run you into too. each other again. Yes. Stay safe. Yes. Love you. Goodbye. Oh, what a night. Literally, Quincy, oh, what a night. Oh, what a night. <laughs> I'm on cloud nine right now, Kevin. I'm on cloud 10, 11, 12, and 13. <laughs> I cannot believe that we just spent two hours shooting the shit. <laughs> shooting the shit with patron saint SJB. Uh, Here's the thing. I don't know what I was expecting, but this surpassed my expectations. 
I had so much fun. I had so much fun. I think when we do these interviews, we always just like are prepared for them to be very formal, very question, answer, question, answer. And there haven't really been any that were like that. But I think as hosts, we're always... I think we like expect we prepare for that. Right. Hope for the best, but prepare for that. Yeah. And I think what's been kind of cool about this whole experience is that none of our interviews have been that, you know? No, everybody's been so chill with us. And I think the cherry on top of the season is the fact that Miss Stephanie J. Block was not only cool with us and chill with us, but she was, dare I say invested as well she was very she did her research on us she knew what she was signing up for it was just like truly an incredible incredible experience stephanie thank you so much for coming on thank you thank you thank you i'm going to remember this until the day i die (laughs) i know i i had my partner sneak in and like take an actual picture while we were doing it because i wanted to be able to like show my kids one day oh yeah i used to have a podcast we interviewed stephanie like what's a podcast what's a podcast but my kids will know who stephanie j block oh absolutely my it's so funny my like straight guy friends who have nothing to do with theater all know who stephanie j block is just because i talk about her so <laughs> because much. yeah i was happy that she with all these years past was able to kind of talk about it in a real way and talk about the emotions of it all because yeah ultimately it's not like a let's pit these actresses against each other because it had nothing to do with no them. not at all yeah it was like the powers that be made the decision But as just like a person and a human being, even when she was recounting her whole experience getting to tour and then even all the drama with tour, I was like, this whole journey for you getting to finally do Alphaba was such an uphill battle from the beginning to end. It was like a five year marathon for her with this show getting to that opening night in Toronto took her from Natasha at Universal all the way up through everything she went through just to get to that opening night in Toronto is crazy. That is a journey. And I also think when you're like a young 20 something year old and like you're workshopping this new Steven Schwartz musical, that's gonna mentally kind of go to your head and you're gonna think like, okay, this is it. Like, this is it for me. I have the next like two, three years of my life mapped out. I'm gonna go to Broadway with this new musical Mm -hmm. because you're so young and you like don't necessarily like know what's all going on. I don't know. It just really struck me like actually how emotionally difficult this whole alphabet journey must have been for her, you know? Yeah. I'm glad that we got to talk to her about the no good deed tour mishap of it all because I feel like we got Jenna's perspective of the story and now we got Stephanie's perspective of the story so we could really like get a full picture of it all. I feel like you and I and this podcast have really put that whole story into a clear focus. Yeah, because it really was a fan lore kind of thing. Where it's it's like, like an urban legend, yeah. Yeah, we all knew Stephanie got like injured. We don't know how, we don't know what. We know it had something to do with the No Good Deed entrance. But honestly, in my mind, I had always pictured it like Elphaba riding the broom in on some sort of wire <laughs> rig. Like full out. Literally. So I'm glad that we heard it from the source exactly what that whole entrance was and oh my god the incident of it all oh my god you know what was what i loved though is the mental picture of derek like get me a ladder and like climbing up and like just like fixing it you know what i mean to like stabilize a sjb that's like thrashing in the air (laughs) yeah oh my god 
I can't imagine, I can't even like get out of bed without four things like cracking back into place. The thought of my 29 year old body like getting thrown in all these different directions while the machine is malfunctioning, that would end me. Absolutely not. So the fact that she like got in therapy, got back and got back to eight shows a week after that, what a superhuman. Truly, Mm. truly superhuman. I love knowing that she spent the night at Kristen Chenoweth's apartment that before is her Wicked so audition. <laughs> that mental picture is... <laughs> I love that. And I love... Yeah, when she was like, yeah, we like went over the scenes and then she we were going to bed and she's like, see you in the room. Because we all know that feeling of like in college musical theater, like the night before the audition, you're like with your theater friends, like going yeah. over everything, like hyping yourselves up. I was like, oh my God. I love the... Um, receipts of it all with like i have this journal with every note that i've been given so that i can always say i'm doing what i've been told to do that is such like honor roll behavior but that tracks because i think i don't know if we talked about it on the podcast but when we were prepping for this you had made a comment about how she is like a worker like in everything we have seen and heard from her she's always like she's ready to put her like nose to the grind and really like put in the work so her saying Mm -hmm. that i was like okay that tracks yeah you know what i think is interesting quincy is hearing her say how the first time she moved to new york she had to go back because she had to like find herself and i thought that was really interesting because now on the other side of that like i think we all look at her and we're like wow she is so versatile she does anything goes she does the share show she can do all these different things and she really is like this chameleon of an actress so it's so nice to hear her say that like the start of that was her you know what i mean like in her mm-hmm. going back to california and making sure that she knew who she was which i also was like i realized during the interview i was like this girl never did the like broadway ensemble understudy standby no. like work her way up so situation she truly was like booking parts from the very beginning yeah like a legend love that for her and even like when i think we got up to nine to five and it was like so much already but i was like that was like just the beginning you know yeah we if we kept going (laughs) (laughs) that was the thing guys like it was such a struggle for me and kevin to be like okay do we get into all of our other career stuff or do we keep it focused on wicked we didn't have the time yeah like ultimately we were like i think we just got to kind of like talk about wicked because if we tried to talk about everything it would take actually 20 hours you know right i almost feel like this could be two episodes could be or one long episode so i mean whatever you guys are listening to let us know let us know they'll be listening to it that's what i'm saying so how can they let us know what they want (laughs) I'm saying they, by the time they hear this, will know what we chose. And we currently, as we record this, don't know what we chose. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I love to know that the decision to go out on tour, to open the tour, was like kind of a conversation that happened between her and the show, or, you know, her people in the show. Yeah. A show like Wicked is, you know, a big corporation almost. And so it's like, it would be easy for them to just be like, hi, Stephanie, you're going to replace Adina. That's the offer. Take it Mm -hmm. or leave it. But the fact that there was a conversation and that she, as an actress, got to say, no, I want to go back in the room. I want to, you know, really craft the role. And like, that's what's important to me. And then she got to do that um, is like a little like, flutter in my heart for wicked llc but which i think speaks to like how much they valued her after having worked so hard on the character and developing the role yeah but yeah that was something that i learned as we were prepping for this i didn't realize that the option for first broadway replacement or tour original was there you know 
Yeah. Her reasoning for choosing to go on tour made a lot of sense. And it does feel like it's it's more something she can own and kind of have like her piece of the alphabet pie, will you say? I will say that. Oh, Kevin, I'm so glad that we got to talk about making good with the making good alphabet. With the making good alphabet. I know. I, I have like loved that song so much since it came. Whenever the first time I heard it, I loved that song. And so even just to hear her say like dramaturgically, like why that song is good, but The Wizard and I is better for the show. And like, it was so, so cool. I'm so glad we got to talk about it with her. Yeah. Well, and even her input of like, oh, The Wizard and I works better in the context of the show was interesting, I thought, because I think there's pros and cons to both, which I think we've obviously gone into. But yeah, it makes sense. I think The Wizard and I is like a quote unquote musical theater song, like more of a musical theater song. Also, I mean, let's talk about the like knife to the heart when she talked about how she's an I'm not that girl alphaba. I, uh, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for it either. I'm going to be honest. Because when she was like, oh, it's not any of those three. I was like, okay, she's an I'm not that girl alphaba. We've had other people say that. But then, like, the reasoning for it, I was like, oh, no, I didn't even think that. Like, I would have never even, like, put those two together. Yeah, but it I mean, it makes sense to internalize a song in that way. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, Guys, here's the thing. It's just, like, really hard to banter about this episode because I think Kevin and I are both just a little shook right now. I'm still processing it. <laughs> just know that we truly just had the experience of a lifetime, and we're so glad that you were here to experience it with us. Yeah, and honestly, I think a big thank you needs to be said to all of the listeners because I think part of the reason that we were able to kind of get on Stephanie's radar and kind of hold her attention to the point that she was willing to come on the podcast is because of the listener engagement and the fact that, you know, when we would post something of her, you guys would all pop off and, and, uh, participate and i think that that helped make her feel like sentimental men was like a safe space for her and a place that she was welcome um so thank you to the listeners for hyping her up with us 100 percent. we are in this together kevin i'm so proud of us i'm proud of us i'm so happy that this happened i'm so grateful for the listeners like what else is there to say what is that i'm grateful for stephanie j block oh my god God, I'm grateful. Yeah, and maybe when we do a share show episode, she'll come back. She's a friend of the pod now. SJB, friend of the pod. Mm. Stephanie, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. And thank you for sharing so much with us. Keep up with us on social. If you liked this episode, which I know you did, give us a like, give us a rating, give us a review, give us a subscribe. Tell your friends. And we will see you guys when we see you. I feel good about what we just did. I feel great about everything we have done in this season. And SJB was the cherry on top of a fantastic season. And that, my friends, is a wrap. You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DeMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com. Or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. 
we couldn't like normal banter. How was your week before this? No, what? A, no. <laughs> how was your week? It was terrible. But let's talk to Stephanie. Oh, <laughs> this week is fucking hell. But I'm really excited to be here. 